0: So, welcome to our first little chat about rurality. The title we've used here is Constructing Rurality. Now, the word constructing gives a bit of a hint as to where we're going with this notion. We're trying to suggest that it's not something that exists in and of itself, uh, separated from time, space, etc. It's something that is produced. Okay, hence the word constructing. And when it comes to defining rurality, it gets particularly complex to define it. it. might seem a little bit strange because people seem pretty confident to say what is rural and what is not. But it gets a little bit slippy when we start talking with people around what they mean by rurality or what it means to them to be rural. And we start to get very different interpretations. So we actually talk about this as the fundamental problem of any rural studies is determining what exactly we mean by rural. Now that's and that's hence our starting point here. Now, there was a period in the, in the field of rural studies where this was a big debating point for quite a while. And we see that in the Rural Studies Handbook, dated 2006, edited by Cloak. A number of papers there trying to define just what rurality is. And this was a bit of a theme in that, uh, that field of research for a while. Now, got to a sort of point where they decided that, well, we actually can't come up with an answer. So it's mildly ironic that the, film of, the field of rural studies, the fundamental issue of what is rural, is itself largely unanswered. But that's because this is a social phenomena that is constantly changing and evolving. So it's the continual focus of study, not the object of a singular answer. Now you'll see in that field of research that they've got away from the, uh, the need to constantly define it. But what you will also see is that they've come to an understanding That to put limitations and descriptions around what they mean by in that particular paper or research is an accepted norm. What that also means is that when they write about the rural, they often write about it in a very um, open and interpretive manner. It's not a uh, taken for granted point or it's not uh, an answer in and of itself that is defined and compared against. Now this is particularly different to some areas, uh, other areas of study. Health is a little bit in between, So health will talk about differences in rurality and how some areas have different notions of rural to others, particularly around access and service provision. In education, it doesn't really get engaged with in a great deal, and that's something we're trying to um, encourage scholars to do. What you will see in education more often than not are results being analyzed in a comparative basis based on some definition of rural or otherwise. And rural is a bit of a given, it's a catch-all term, and there's certain results that it represents, and then there's other issues, um, other results that uh, it's compared to. The idea of there being different realities is not a naturalized concept in education. Now, that's a starting point for some of this work because that's probably the number one thing we need to challenge, that rural is not a taken for granted term. What we see throughout the rural studies definitions and literatures are multiple interpretations And they usually got some combination of demographic, geographic, or cultural definitions. So this is a sort of interpretive space. Now the geographic tends to focus on things like, uh, particularly mapping, demographics, and distance. So there there are uh, definitions that you can give based on a location. We could talk about climate geographically, we could locate it on a map, and we can look at issues around distance on a map between two points also topography comes in there because it can change the way you access somewhere straight line distance terrain um, getting around water bodies and so forth okay so that's something we can use in a particularly um, uh, a structured sense i guess you'd say then there's cultural definitions those cultural definitions are usually qualitative accounts people define themselves as having their cultural values linked to rurality to that place to the values of the people who have lived there and who have come before, or the way of life that they go about doing things. Now, the other one there is also demographic. Now, I know I mentioned that statistically, but we can also look demographically in terms of who constitutes the place, how many people live within a square kilometre radius, uh, what the social and cultural mix is, uh, what the skills base is. Okay, all these things become part of that demographic analysis, which is separate to the, the pure statistical. Now we'll see in the readings that there are a number of uh, interpretive models here. Now we'll look at some of these particularly pertaining to education in a few weeks time, ones that we use, but just in general they tend to come back, like I said, to be some combination of demographic, geographic or cultural. Key point here is that we can't just turn around and say the rural is over there because it's not just over there as one whole place. There are multiple over there's and each over there is different one town is a different combination of those geographic characteristics to another it could be a coastal rural town it could be a rural town in a high density a high rainfall area that has irrigated cropping and a lot of population base it could be a irrigate a rural town where there's very little rainfall very little vegetation okay these are all rural they're just different rurals. okay and if we lump them all as one we lose that important nuance even when it comes to, to cultural values, economic base, and so forth. okay. Because in a high-density area, the economic base is going to be higher and there's going to be more people. In a area where there's more arid um, terrain, you're going to have less people, less forms of production, lower economic turnover. These things are all interrelated, as we will see through these models. That's one of the powers of those models, is that interaction. So it's really, really important that we think about, hang on, what is rural in my context? And how am I going to use it? Because if we don't come to that understanding, all we're doing is enacting some uh, idolized, often romantic notion of rurality that we have in our heads, that we're imposing on the object of study or investigation. And this is where we come into the methodological link. A lot of our research methods or analysis don't engage with these multiple interpretations of rurality, particularly in the education, it's more about comparing results between two areas or in health it's about levels of access between two areas. But understanding that the nature of the community and then what their needs are, how they understand access and how they understand results varies through these geographies. So in a health scenario or even anyone living in a rural region to drive for an hour or two is not a major issue. It's part of the everyday life. So distance and space become different mental constructions to someone who's used to just going down the road to the shops. Okay, That hour and a half becomes, psychologically, longer and more difficult. Okay, This affects how we then perceive issues of access. If we use those notions of culture or economy interplaying in those definitions, we get different understandings of knowledges that we engage with in schooling. So, how do we engage with what is expected to be normal knowledge, or the everyday experience of a child that often underpins the assumptions of what we do in school assessment, when that is different based on those interactions in rural areas. That's particularly one thing we'll look at in a couple of later weeks. But it's the same with health when it comes to having to make community bonds. One of the big issues with health service provision is the need for rural practitioners to develop community links and trust, because community values of trust are often more important than uh, expertise in, say, a more metropolitan sense. So that becomes a significant issue, but it's not something that uh, has become a naturalized concept. So I guess as we move forward, in all our thinking about rurality, this notion of there being multiple definitions is actually one of the fundamental principles that we uh, will be dealing with. Now, when I get down a little bit further to some of the issues here around uh, statistical geography, you'll see that, well, In a lot of public policy, statistical definitions seem to be the dominant form. We don't really have a lot of other ways of engaging. So if we look at the Australian context, we've got the Accessibility and Remoteness Index, which is based around the ease of accessing services or otherwise, and that influences the Australian Statistical Geography Standard and the remoteness structure, which is around accessing services in different parts of the country. Indeed, what I find absolutely interesting about some of this statistical geography stuff is that it talks about as technology increases and roads and cars improve, that remoteness will be declining. So in some ways, we're actually working towards, with modernity and technology, the removal of remoteness. It's a really interesting concept. But I think the other interesting concept in these definitions is that dominance of statistics. When we look at educational results, we look at health data and health access and achievement, it's all in, all statistically based, and all uses some statistical organising principle upon which then reality is defined, and everything else is compared. Okay, okay. so that's why the, the Australian statistical geography standard, based on the area, is so important to get an understanding of, okay. and how that is constructed around the five definitions there, from very remote through to major cities in Australia. And each of those is based on that accessibility and remoteness issue, has the issue around population density as one of the factors within there as well. Okay, what we often find is that uh, things change, particularly around the uh, outer regional to remote, to very remote, there's less people obviously, okay? But again, even that notion of how many people, again, it's very city-centric, particularly in Australia, and very Eurocentric notion. Because the notion of even being remote, well, I reckon people living, or I don't reckon, I know from talking to people, sorry, I should be more accurate in my language, living in what we might term remote areas from the city, that is their home. It's not remote, it's home. The city is remote to them. So this issue becomes, it becomes an issue of perspective. Okay, so a number of particularly, uh, more often than not, Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander communities, which will be classified as remote in the statistical geography structure, that's not remote, that's home. Okay. And that was home before European society moved into Australia over 200 years ago. So perspective and the Euro values become part of this notion here as well. Indeed, that even comes into notions of what we call rural or the outback. Okay. That whole notion of outback, it literally means out the back. Or the word, the bush, we often talk about the bush. okay. Um, Don Watson's book, The Bush reminds us of this point too but that in a lexical cartography sense refers to from european times the bush was the untamed part of the landscape that wasn't farmed and managed okay so all that country bush is untamed land in the language uh, lexical cartography that we uh, we refer to here so there's all these things carrying meanings that we really need to be mindful of and again that meaning gets really important when we consider that since about 2011, half the world's population, half the world's population is urban. Okay. This happened in 1948 around the world, but in Australia, um, about nine, only a few years ago, about five, six years ago, when you consider China uh, as a major population base and movement to the cities in Africa, has popped uh, the whole world population over the 50% mark into urban areas. In Australia, two thirds of people live in capital cities. 85% within 5Ks of the coast, 81% okay, of population growth in capital cities and their surrounding regions. Okay? But there are still 31% of people in rural and remote areas, so we've got to keep that in mind as well. The population is, is, is distinct. And this doesn't mean all rural and remote areas are shrinking. Indeed, a number of areas on transport corridors, or areas, some areas outside of major cities, are actually increasing and have high growth rates. There's really high indigenous growth rates in the country, so it's not all decline. There's actually some growth. Um, it's just a lot of the decline is happening in the more remote areas, and climatic issues that we're dealing with are not uh, are not helping that. Okay, so again, just to come back around, why does this matter? Well. If half the world's population is rural, or sorry, got that wrong, didn't I? If half the world's population is urban, then what is normal? This is for the first time in human history that the urban experience is the experience of the majority. So that becomes our norm, our common sense. It becomes a basis upon which we expect to share the common experience. So anyone who doesn't share that background is more and more marginalised in that common experience. And that becomes a real problem. It becomes a bigger problem when we think about uh, globalization, global economic policies, things like the OECD, the World Bank, which are driving a whole lot of national reforms around educational achievement, access to health and services, economic development. These are all governed by predominantly urban societies, and the countries that are that are really responding to them, that are getting the uh, aid and support, that are trying to, to, to uh, engage with some of these uh, measures to improve are countries that have been making their transition from mainly rural uh, to slightly less rural urban based pop- populations. Now, that's an issue because again, they're modeling achievement on highly urbanized notions and it doesn't do anything about engaging with the nature and conditions of the culture, hence those definitions. What are the demographic characteristics of where people call home and what we know about that? Okay, We can't make decisions as a globe based around a few conglomerates of cities because we lose what it means to be human and we lose the diversity of human experience. It might be that cities have been the economic hub, but they've been the economic hub that has often been based on resource extraction or agricultural industries, and they don't exist. Without rural areas, cities need those rural areas to, to feed them and to to develop energy, develop power, etc. Okay, so we've got to really be mindful of this this binary notion that goes through so much policy. Okay, um, it's often that our, our our services are based on the assumptions of the city, but that's really a poor model for providing access. So we then might talk about less access to health or less access to education. Okay, but that's because it's less access to the model of health and education that has come from the city and been supplanted to rural areas. What about when we turn that around? What if we design a health and education from rural areas that meet the needs of people? Then we might get a slightly uh, different response going on here. Okay, so it's about this what we call metro normativity, the notion that the metro is a norm and everything else is somehow deviant from it and has to be changed to become more metro. Well. Personally, I don't know if I want the high crime rates, the great inequity, the congestion, the pollution that exists in many cities. I'm not quite sure that the sort of thing that I would hold up as being the beacon of civilised society. It's just that we haven't got ways of describing rural areas and their values that, uh, that we might have uh, otherwise. So just to finish, a couple of things that we're talking about here of these definitions and while we're looking at the rural. Yes, we want to look at what the rural experience is because we want to be able to construct that as a unique phenomena and engage with that professionally in a way that is ethically and caring. We don't want to erase rurality because that's unethical. To turn around and say that somehow we are better and we're going to make you less what makes you you to a rural person is a pretty unethical thing to do. What we're going to say is we're going to work with you to understand how you you construct your rurality how that engages with the modern world, and how together we can try to create uh, some things that are gonna maybe give you more self-agency over your life, more options, and access to things that you might value or not experience. It's not about deciding to erase one over the other. And this is, again, getting to that whole notion of what's considered normal. But part of this is also symbolic. It's looking at the notion of well, centers and peripheries. How do centers and peripheries exist? and how are they constructed in what's their relationships? How does the way we even understand success and achievement in education or access in health and healthcare provision, how do the way we even construct that based on comparative binaries, how does that actually create the problem rather than solve it? We'll think about engaging with those sort of notions. Now, how do we value people, places, and communities in a way that is ethically caring in the modern world, in a way that's gonna provide us with what we all want, which is an enhanced quality of life, okay? some agency over our lives, and, and some ability to enjoy it and enjoy the values that we hold dear to us, as diverse as they, as they might be. Okay? It's a pretty complex thing to be to be aiming for, but that's why it's really important to come at it from the notion that the rural is multifaceted, there's no one definition, okay? but it's about multi- multiplicities of definitions that come together in new and unique ways. That's what you sort of want to be doing in in our research. So we'll leave it there for now, and we'll come back next week with a bit more detail on some of these examples.